asked somebody who had you know worked for the the dia the defense intelligence agency once i asked them how many craft are active in the earth environment at any given time and i said can you give me just an order of magnitude estimate 10 100 1000 10000 craft and he goes we don't know and i said you don't know if it's 100 or 10000 he goes yeah we don't even know that wow we thought wow we're again we're in trouble <laughs> this is yeah. trouble Hey, Unexplained Ones, this is Dr. Mounts with All Things Unexplained. If you like our brand of truth-seeking, positive, paranormal podcast, then you can support the show at BigfootUFO.com. At BigfootUFO.com, you can make donations, find All Things Unexplained swag, check out all our social media links, and more. Another way you can help is wherever you're watching or listening, make sure to follow, comment, and share. The show would not be possible without your support, and we appreciate every one of you. And now, Professor Kevin Knuth. We know now that in the early years of the 20th century, this world was being watched closely by intelligences greater than man's. Did the CIA write Wind of Change by the Scorpions? <laughs> <laughs> As humans busied themselves about the various concerns, they were scrutinized and studied. Dr. Loeb, what percentage chance do you give it that you have indeed uncovered extraterrestrial or non-human technology? With infinite complacence, people went about their affairs, yet across an immense ethereal gulf, intellects vast and unsympathetic drew their plans against us. Prior to your abduction, did you believe in UFOs or any sort of alien life form? All things unexplained. So some of that I think there will say for close session. Hello, all you unexplained ones out there. Thank you for joining us. We are so lucky to have with us on this show, Dr. Kevin Knuth. There has been suspicion among people who have seriously looked at this that there is a bigger secret because i think the general feeling is that those reasons for keeping this quiet for 80 years aren't quite enough and that there's something more dramatic happening that nobody has the answer to the ufo cabal and i'm starting to wonder if that's the situation like maybe we're actually being controlled by aliens like maybe aliens are running the government it's Roddy Rowdy Piper. What was the movie? They do. <laughs> they live. <laughs> Obey. Obey. But I think, I think that there's there's a potential. There's, the potential is that there's a bigger there's a bigger thing that's not been revealed yet that nobody has figured out. Right. And and that's there's a potential for that. There's a bigger secret. Back to the we don't know what we don't know portion of this yeah. broadcast. There's a lot that we don't, there's a lot that nobody knows about this situation. And right. um, we don't know, we don't know who, where these craft come from. We don't know what they're doing here. We don't know who made them. We don't know how many different types of craft or different types of, you know, sources of the craft there are. We don't know what the intentions are. We don't know any of this. And it's yes. a, there's a lot of ignorance here, which is really unacceptable at this point. It's 80, year, 80 years of, of keeping this quiet has led to a situation where even people in our own government are ignorant about the situation. 
I asked somebody who had, you know, worked for the the DIA, the Defense Intelligence Agency once, I asked them, how many craft are active in the Earth environment at any given time? And I said, can you give me just an order of magnitude estimate? 10, 100, 1,000, 10,000 craft. And he goes, we don't know. And I said, you don't know if it's 100 or 10,000? He goes, yeah, we don't even know that. Wow. And we thought, wow, we're, again, we're in trouble. <laughs> I mean, this is yeah. trouble. I mean, yeah. the fact that, that this has just been ignored and compartmentalized and um, not shared is a big problem. Yes. So we have a question here from um, Andrew Wilder. Thank you, Andrew, for tuning in and for your question. Do we think these craft are coming from undersea? This is something that gets discussed a lot. So many UFOs, UAPs seen around water. That is a good question. That's a good question. I'm, hmm. All right. So, yes, they're, they're clearly transmedium. These things have been observed going into the sea, coming out of the sea for not just 80 years. There are sightings of these objects going back. I've got records going back to the 1800s, the mid-1800s, coming out of the ocean, going into the ocean. Um, there are ships in the 1880s that witnessed these things in the Persian Gulf or the South China Sea. A disc comes out of the water, hovers above the ship for a minute or two, and then choo, takes off into the sky. These are sightings from the 1800s. They're not Chinese. They're not Russian. I'm sorry. That it's, <laughs> we're, give that up. I mean, just just drop that excuse. Um, it's, we, this has been going on a very, very long time. There are sightings of these objects going back to Roman times. There, there are Roman historical records. Um, one, one was a battle a battle that was being fought in a valley and three flying shields, they called them, came flying low over the battlefield and scared everybody and basically ended the battle. Everybody just took off running. And that's, that's Roman history 2000 years ago. This has been, they've been, whatever is going on has been going on for a very, very long time throughout human history. And so this whole, you know, are they Chinese balloons? Are we, you know, give, give that up. It's we're, we're way beyond. <laughs> oh, you don't think it was a Chinese weather balloon that they shot down no. and then revealed absolutely nothing about afterwards? Well, I don't know what, I don't know what they <laughs> shot down, but, but that's not the only explanation here. Of course. Um, so it's, it's pretty, pretty ridiculous. But I think that, you know, there's enough that's been, that's known about these things that we can rule these things out. So I think, you know, let's get past bringing up these silly, these silly excuses or descriptions of what they might be. And let's try to make some real progress and figure out what they actually are. I think that would be good. Yes. Time to start paying attention, right? Time to start looking up. Exactly. We should be paying some attention here yeah. and sharing information. We need to do that. We should. And we you know what's interesting is that as technology has developed, which, okay, let's make some big assumptions here. Let's assume that our technology has developed so quickly because our government has had access to alien spacecraft and we've used it to advance our technology by more than anybody could have ever imagined. All of the technology that we have, for the most part, keeps us looking down rather than out or up, right? All of the phones that we get, all of the computers that we have, we spend so much more time looking down 
disconnected, right? The technology that keeps coming out, keeps being developed that we're all addicted to, right? Keeps us from looking up. Yeah, the phones keep us looking up. And that's scary. (laughs) Yeah, there's, I'm, I mean, I don't, I don't, I'm, I, I try not to jump to the conclusion that this is really pervasive in some way, but I, but it's, but we're not paying attention. Right. People aren't paying attention. The media certainly isn't paying attention. The whole, the whole discussion, the congressional discussion with Grush and uh, Fravor and Graves, um, they were under oath. And they're talking about really serious things. Mm-hmm. Why wasn't that all over the media? Right. Dr. Knuth, have you had the opportunity to speak with David Grush? No, I've not. I had, I was at the... Soul Foundation meeting at Stanford in mid-November, and Grush addressed us at the end of that meeting. But that's the, and and it turns out at one of the SCU meetings, I happened to be sitting a few feet away from him. I talked to people who worked with him, but I didn't get to talk to him. I didn't know who he was at the time. But there's a photo, there's a photograph of me sitting here in Grush about you know, about three or four chairs away, which is kind of funny. No, I think he's telling the he's telling the truth. It's all. This, it attracts with everything that I've heard from other people and that have been described by witnesses. It, that's, yeah. We very probably have craft and we, we very probably um, have had them for a long time. Yeah. Mm. Well, we were going to do some hot takes with you, and I'm looking here at my list of hot takes that we wanted to do, and one was Roswell, and one was cattle mutilations, and one was abductions, and one was David Grush. And <laughs> like, oh. Wait. At the right time. We covered all of those. I've got a plug in my power cable. Oh, sorry. Real life life intrudes, and this is my fault. Of course. You know, when you knocked all of those papers off of the side of your desk, I could just picture those 64 pages of mathematical problems that you had been solving, and now all of a sudden they were out of order. No. (laughs) How to put these back in order? They weren't. They were. They weren't. They were. They were cards from my from my kids and stuff that were stacked up. So there we. Oh, sweet. Even better. <laughs> Even better. I don't want them to be damaged. So but fine. cute. I'll pick them up a little later. <laughs> um. Well, we should bring up, speaking of data collection, and we're having the privilege tonight of talking with Professor Kevin Knuth, UFO researcher, physicist. You've seen him in A Tear in the Sky, and you've seen him on Encounters on Netflix. Professor Knuth, you are a part of an organization called UAPX. Right, UAPX is is where so I'm I'm a professor at the University of Albany and we several of us from the University of Albany, me and my colleagues Matthew Shadagas and Cecilia Levy are collaborating with UAPX and have been for years now. Um, the goal is to collect scientific data on, on UAPs and to use multiple types of instruments and um, collect, you know, scientific data and to try to study these things. So that was the the movie, A Terror in the Sky, was, was our first um, data collection effort, basically. Um, and it was uh, funded by Omnium Media, who made that, that documentary and basically allowed us to, to go out to Laguna Beach and Catalina and monitor the Catalina giant channel for, for five days, which was, which was very useful. So the, the, the thing, the thing we recently published, um, well, the papers in submission to a journal 
for review right now, but we but the paper is also available on the archive. So we have a research paper on the Physics Archive that describes what we've learned from that that first mission. And you know what you typically learn from any first mission is what you did wrong. <laughs> That's just a fact. <laughs> and and I remember when we were very excited about going out there. I remember telling one of my colleagues that and he very excitedly said, "Oh, we're gonna." get all this data on UFOs. I said, no, we're going to learn what we did wrong is what's going to happen. But that, and that's, that's basically how it works. But you did have a pretty sweet house out there though. Oh, it was a great house. Um, it was a great <laughs> place to work from. It was five days, five days in that house. Um, we, we worked the whole time. We were in view of the beach. We had about a mile and a half from the beach. We were up 300 feet up in the hills, looking down on the beach. I didn't go to the beach once that whole oh. that whole trip. <laughs> I didn't even get down to the beach, and I love going to the ocean. So, so it was it was a little surprising when it was all finished. I thought I didn't even make it down to the ocean, but we we literally worked all the time, working with our equipment, with our software, and 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 watching for unidentified objects, which was fantastic. Now you got to meet Travis Taylor. Was that your first time to meet him? And what was your impression? No, I had met him. I had met him previously at at, at, at some events, but um, yeah. But Travis came out, and we got to show him around, which was great fun. He seems like a super fun, super fun character. Yeah, no, he's a, he's a he's a good guy. He's a, he's a he's a smart mm -hmm. physicist, and um, and I lo love the chances we get to sit down and actually talk about physics is the most fun for me. Usually, when we're with other people, they want to talk about UFOs and other things, which also is interesting. But but sometimes it's you know, as a scientist, it's more fun to just really dig deep into the science, which is good to go back to your roots, <laughs> which is really rather just excludes other people right? <laughs> by its nature. So, so it's difficult. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yes. Yes, it does. Well, we are so grateful that we have had you and just been able to pick your brain and get so much knowledge from you. We do have one listener question that I think is fascinating. If I could pull this in here real quick before we let you go from listener whose name is Die Dragon. It says there's been a lot of rumbling about the James Webb Space Telescope having made some sort of discovery of life on an exoplanet. And of course, you study exoplanets in your line of work. Have you heard anything about this? Do you have any comments on that? So I haven't heard about this, and 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 thank thank you for that question because now you've alerted me to something I should be paying attention to. I don't I don't know what the situation okay. is. The J the James Webb Space Telescope is is an infrared telescope that is that has the capability to measure um, atmospheric absorption spectra. So what does that mean? It means that when a planet passes in front of the star, the starlight is shines through the atmosphere of the planet. And the atmosphere of the planet will absorb certain frequencies of light. And so you can actually see, as the planet comes in front of the star, you can actually see those frequencies will decrease because they're being absorbed by the atmosphere of the planet. And different, chemical, different chemicals in the atmosphere will absorb different frequencies of light. And so you can identify chemicals this way. So you might be able to detect, for example, you might be able to detect an oxygen atmosphere. Now, oxygen is, is highly reactive and will not last long by itself on a planet unless it's being mm. replenished um, somehow. And the way it's replenished on Earth is through right. photosynthesis of plants, right? So this is so these are ways that 
scientists have conceived of possibly detecting life on another planet is to detect a chemical constituent in the atmosphere that that isn't stable or won't last for a long time and has to be replenished. Uh, methane. Methane is detected on Mars um, when, when Mars enters springtime. So when you have the, the whatever hemisphere of Mars goes into springtime, um, methane will start appearing and methane will persist until winter and then it goes away. So again, we for, for all of these, you know, you can talk about that as evidence for life. But what it really is, is it's evidence for an unknown chemical process, right? So you can think of photosynthesis as a chemical process, and it, it's a chemical process that happens to be um, happens to be involved with life. But not all of these chemical processes processes need to be involved with life, and that's 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 where it gets difficult. So what I don't know what was found with the James Webb Space Telescope. I'll have yeah. to look into that. My guess is that they found some kind of chemical constituent in in an atmosphere of a planet that is not normal, right? Is it, is it, or or couldn't persist by itself? So there has to be some kind of chemical process that's keeping that that there. And usually, you know, when we say it's associated with life, usually those situations are such that the only chemical processes we're aware of are those that are related to life. That was such an Wonderful way to put that. But it's not, but those aren't exactly explanations of, you know, evidence of life there. It's kind of like circumstantial evidence for life, right? I appreciate you breaking that right. down, though. That was a really easy way to understand what they might be looking for, which oh, I haven't heard it put that way before. So thank you. Thank goodness for scientists. What would we do without you guys? <laughs> Absolutely. And CJ, I love this listener question real quick from Andrew Wilder. How long do we think they've been here? Ooh, that's a good question. I actually have an answer. To, I have a possible answer to this. And in fact, I, I gave a talk on this at the remotely to the Max Planck Institute of Physics in Germany this last summer. And I'm going to be talking about this work in... England in April as well. What I had done, so so I was interested in, one of the difficulties of getting other scientists interested in this is that it's really hard to change your worldview. You know, and, and the, the traditional worldview for scientists and, and, and for most people is that there, there are no aliens, right? <laughs> it's just humans, right? This is traditional and, and it's probably wrong. And most scientists will admit that it's probably wrong. But the other belief is that the interstellar distances are just far too great for anybody to travel and make it here. So there probably aren't aliens coming here. And that's the general belief. And I decided, well, is that really reasonable? Because we're now in the, we've now explored our whole solar system and we're now considering venturing out. NASA has a plan to get a probe to Alpha Centauri, the nearest star, by 2069, which would be the 100-year anniversary of the moon landings, which I think is a great idea. Um, but we're trying to do this ourselves. So wouldn't aliens try to do this too, I, I, I thought. So how hard is it, really? And so what I did is I ran simulations. I basically simulated the society using just a few parameters, basically describing how fast they can travel, how fast they can accelerate, how long they're willing to be in their spacecrafts or able to be 
um, how old the civilization is and just a few parameters like this. And I ran this for a couple million civilizations to see what happens. And I kept track of the ones that happened to find Earth in the simulation. So once I did that, I was able to compile the statistics from the simulation to tell me what characteristics of those civilizations, that, what characteristics they had in common that basically helped them find Earth, right? So, so you can basically, you can then try to answer the question, what do we, what do we given our knowledge of, of physics and space travel, expect what what should we be expecting of aliens and their ability to find earth you know our expectations are that they can't come here but is that really true and so running these simulations you can answer that question um that doesn't tell you if they're really coming here or not of course but it tells you what you ought to be expecting based on what you know and it turns out that yes they can make it here not often it's only a few percent of the simula few percent of the simulations ever find Earth. They're usually coming from not very far away originally. And this is kind of a colonization process. So they're moving to the next star system, colonizing, moving to the next one. And so I was modeling colonization this way. So most of the home worlds, the original source of the these the aliens would be within probably about six thousand to twenty thousand light years from here which is really far for us, but they're basically operating over several million years, maybe a two million year to, to four million year life, you know, civilization age. So they would be old civilizations, very old, much older than ours. And with all that information, I was able to estimate when on average, somebody who is observed on earth probably discovered earth in the first place. And that number comes out to be somewhere around 250 to 300,000 years ago. So any if you observe aliens here today, based on what we know about space travel, they probably discovered Earth a quarter of a million years ago. Wow. Which means they've been here throughout human history, which, right. which agrees with what we know about observations. Incredible. <laughs> this is a great comment. Office hours with Professor Kevin Canoe. Thank you. <laughs> I follow the subject closely. I was sitting here going, I wish that you were my astronomy professor in college. I might have understood a little bit more about it at the time. That's really intriguing. So it's about the, yeah, this is an interesting. So about the same time as we came on the scene. Well, well, about the same time that humans were. I'm trying to remember. I think Neanderthals left Africa probably around 300,000 years ago, but I think modern humans left only about 100,000 years ago. So, wow. The things that could have happened, right? <laughs> the, the, the genetic modifications, right? We don't, there's a lot we don't know about history either. There's, a, there's, there's so much that's not known. And it, it's, you know, I think I, 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 it would be nice for more scientists to appreciate that there's a lot that's not known. There's a lot of mystery yet, a lot to be discovered, and it's it's exciting. Like, what if we are a crossbreed between aliens and Neanderthals <laughs> to take the population to the next planet? <laughs> well, the the crossbreeding is a tough one because <laughs> the crossbreed you're going to have to they would have to be DNA based. They'd have to probably be related to us in the first place. Hmm. 
you probably wouldn't be coming from another planet because from another planet with an independent evolution probably would have its own chemistry that's different from ours gotcha so that's a difficult issue so we'll take that we'll take that one off the table <laughs> but you know what that's one thing i appreciate dr knuth in one of your papers and, and you we're using the word they just then and we we're talking about when did they get here how long have they been here and you bring up this notion in one of your papers about pilots the, you know are there pilots of these craft or these anomalies and you take a very human approach from of, for this because you talk about how you've heard people who think we should bring them down to study them but yet that doesn't t seem to take into account the fact that there could be a pilot in there. I think that was a very interesting take. Well, I think that's a that, that's a good question, and I think that's important. I mean, that didn't that's part that's one of the topics that bothers me that didn't come up in the hearings with Grush. According to what he claims that we we have in our possession craft, and we have in our possession biologics, right? So non-human entities, basically. And the first question is, did did we ever bring any of these craft down? I mean, if we did, that's an that's that's an act of war. So that's problematic, and it's, you know, and that's a problem we might all have to deal with. And so this isn't something that ought to be kept secret. Those the acts like that ought to be coming from you know, the president and Congress, not some some random person in the military or defense industry. And then the, the second thing is with, that if you had crash craft or we brought craft down and, and any of these aliens were alive or non-humans were alive, what happened to them? Did we make an effort to, to get them home? Did we put them in captivity? Did we kill them? Did we experiment on them? I mean, all of that's, all of that's highly immoral. Most of that's immoral and, and very problematic. And those questions haven't come up yet. And I think that Another reason for keeping the secret is that there could be a lot of crimes that were committed that people don't want to be charged with. Great reason for keeping things secret. Um, there could have been a lot of bad things that people did. And we know that there have been event, there have been efforts to shoot these things down. That's a problem too. I mean, it's welcome to earth, bang, bang, bang. You know, this is, this is humanity. I mean, this is our problem. War crimes against the universe. We're, we're kind of sick. We're kind of sick in the head as a species. And I worry about that. Yeah, we are. That's one thing Avi Loeb talks about a lot, that if there were a species that were intelligent enough to make it here, they would have to be intelligent enough to stop harming one another. Otherwise they would never make it. They would kill each other all before they got here. They probably wouldn't make it, right? Well, that's our problem with with the space program. I mean, the space program kept getting put off and, and canceled and all of this because of wars. America goes to war every 20 years. And the last one lasted 20 years. Yeah, I was going to say, is, is that all? Which is a big problem. Right. Yeah, so, I mean, this is, I mean, we got it, we got it, you know, what are our priorities? Well, apparently it's war. That's, that's humanity, though. And that's a big problem. Yeah. It's too bad we didn't evolve. It's too bad we aren't more closely related to bonobos than we are. Chips, <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Well, we have really gotten so much insightful information from you and loved diving into some of those articles that you've written and what you plan to do in the future. So thank you for sharing. I had this really beautiful conclusion 
written that I was going to read, but we actually had one of our listeners do it for me. Listen to this. It says, thank you for taking the topic seriously, Professor Knuth. I know the stigma can damage your reputation and career. So thank you so much for taking those risks for all of us. And that came from Die Dragon. And it's so true. Oh, thank you, Die Dragon. And thank you very much. We know that you are taking risks. You know, like you said, with your career and what have you, having to balance that line of being taken seriously as a professor, but also taken seriously and getting others to take you seriously as you pursue this topic of UAPs and what they are and where they come from. So thank you from all of us. Thank you. Yes. And we hope that you will join us on our show again. Tim and I were just talking about, we think we'll probably see you on Ancient Aliens sometime soon if you're not already booked. (laughs) I don't know about that, but, um, but, but um, you seem to be the right fit. But I know there, there's, there's, there are, there are other shows that are probably will appear, that I'm sure to appear on. So yeah, that does bring up a good question, CJ, and, and I think we'd love to know this, Dr. Knuth. Do you have any upcoming? And by the way, I love a quote you had where you said that anomalies are often at the center of scientific revolutions. Do you have any? Anomalous future missions or research coming up? Um, nothing I can easily talk about. I don't have any results for. So I, so I'm always paying attention. I'm trying to pay attention. I mean that they think that's something that scientists ought to do. It's it's way too easy to get focused on your particular area of study, and then you end up walking around like this, and you mm-hmm. don't see the big picture and don't see anything else. And I. And I think that's important to be paying attention. Absolutely. Well, I'm so glad Tim was paying attention enough to get you on our podcast because this has been lovely. Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a great pleasure. Yes, it's been wonderful. Tim, anything else before we sign out? I just want to say we really appreciate you coming on with us tonight, Dr. Knuth. It's been a pleasure. We would love to have you come back on with us some other time in the near future and hear more about what you've got going on and any takes and insights you've got for us i would enjoy that as well thank you so much all right well that's it for us everybody we hope you all stay happy stay strange and keep listening to all things unexplained take care thank you goodbye everybody thanks like share follow comment Subscribe. Support. What's your hot take on Travis Taylor? (laughs) (laughs) I've got an exclusive for you guys if you want it about the Alaska. We do. Okay, okay. More at BigfootUFO.com. All things unexplained. So some of that I think, sir, will save for post session.